the book of Jude. And God willing, we'll be expounding verse 7 this morning. I want to ask you something that a lot of people have been asked not too long ago in a national poll. I'm going to ask you, is hell a real place? Is hell a real place? Or is there is there really a place where angels and people who rejected God, will they really burn forever? I mean, ever and ever and ever. Or is hell just a scare tactic that preachers use? I read one man arguing this week. He said hell was just a scare tactic. Preachers use it to try to coerce people into behaving themselves. Could that be possible? I mean, the idea that a loving God would actually send people to a place of eternal torment is rejected by many people today. A Pew Research study conducted a while back found that, listen now, out of the mainline Protestant denominations, one of them's right here next door to us, out of the mainline Protestant denominations, roughly only 60% of the people that belong to those denominations believe that hell is a real place. 60%. And then out of evangelicals, which we would be considered evangelicals, those right-wing extremists, that's me, only 82% of those polled believed that hell was a real place. Catholics, only 63% believed in a place called hell. And I find it absolutely amazing that people who profess to believe in a religion that's founded on the Bible deny a place called hell that's taught in the Bible. It's amazing. Or is hell taught in the Bible, Brother Doug? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not taught in the Bible. When I did a quick search engine to check this topic out on who believed in hell and everything... You know what come up on the very front page of my search results? It was an article entitled, Ten Biblical Reasons Why Hell May Not Be Real. (laughs) Wow. Not ten reasons. These people were Bible thumpers. Ten biblical reasons why hell may not be real. And at the top of the article, across from the author's name, It had the person's name who fact-checked the article. Now, I tell you what, I don't put any stock in fact-checkers. If I did before, I sure don't after reading that article. It was fact-checked. Now, how can someone fact-check like that unless they went to hell or or, or died and saw that it wasn't real? You can't fact-check that. My goodness. Ten biblical reasons why hell may not be real. What a fascinatingly deceptive title. I just couldn't help myself. I had to go take a peek. And the author of the article said that the Bible barely even mentions a place called hell. 
barely mentions it, and suggests that the concept of hell in the Bible is obscure. Well, let me tell you this this morning. If anyone tries to tell you that the Bible doesn't proclaim that there is an actual, literal place of eternal, fiery judgment for those who reject their Creator and the Savior He sent, that person is a liar. Last week, Jude had been telling us that false teachers had crept into the church and that God will one day root them out and condemn these counterfeit clergy. And if anybody had a hard time believing that God would actually destroy someone who faithfully attended church and preached sermons in the pulpit and all, Jude said, hey, if you have a hard time believing that, let me give you a quick history lesson. And he told us that in verse 5 and 6. He gave us a quick history lesson using two Old Testament examples. Jude said, look with me in verse 5 and 6. He said, I will therefore put you in remembrance. (laughs) Let me give you a good reminder here. He said, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. In that example last week, we saw that the unbelieving Israelites, they kept the right company. As uh, John said in in his epistles, he, he said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. But the Israelites could have said, they came out with us, but they were not of us. They, 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 they kept the right company, but they didn't keep the right convictions. They went out of Egypt. But they didn't believe that God could bring them into the promised land. In fact, they were trusting in their own efforts to get there. They saw those giants and said, oh, they're too big for us. Man, I tell you what. When I see my sin, I don't think that's too big for me. When I see God's Ten Commandments, I don't think I'll never achieve it. I don't even put me in the equation. I just see my sin. Jesus took care of that. I see the Ten Commandments. Jesus took care of that. So they were destroyed in spite of their profession. In the same way we learn that we will not enter heaven based on the company we keep, but based on the Christ in whom we believe. So you may keep company with Christians today, but if you don't trust in Jesus Christ, you will, like those unbelieving Israelites, one day part company with the church in the end. You may occupy a pew, But you will not occupy a place in the kingdom of God apart from your repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Jude gave us a second Old Testament example in verse 6. Look with me there. He said, and the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He that is God hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. And that's where we left off last week. With the example of the rebellious angels, the unbelieving Israelites, in spite of their profession, were rejected. They, they, they made a profession in Egypt, uh, but in spite of their religious profession, they were rejected. And in the same way, the rebellious angels were rejected in spite of their position they held in heaven. One had the right profession, the others had the right position, but they were rejected in spite of both of them. Why? Because keeping the right company and holding the right position were merely 
outward conditions of the Israelites and the angels. But on the inside, these Israelites and these angels were rebels at heart. And that's what God looks on when he makes his judgment on the heart. Because that's the part of us that's real. The outward's the part of us that we want people to see. The inward is the part that only God can see. Not how we look outwardly, but how we really are inwardly is what matters to God. So a man can stand in the pulpit, Jude said, as Satan once stood in heaven. And a man can put on religious clothing as Satan, the Bible says, transforms himself into an angel of light. And a man can talk very religiously as the Israelites once did. But God knows the true story of every person. He knows your true story. God knows the difference between who's fake and who's real. And on the great day of his judgment, he will condemn the one and preserve the other. Jude said this would happen when on the the, the judgment day, the great day of his judgment, the judgment of the great day is how he put it. There's coming a time, this, this great day of God's judgment, there's coming a time when all the, the shenanigans of God's sinful creatures will come to an end. And boy, I can't wait for that. I've gotten to where I don't even want to listen to the news anymore. I don't even want to hear it. I told God the other day, I, I'm interested in kingdom news right now. I know what this world's kingdom's going to do. And I'm more interested in hearing about God's kingdom. Because God is one day is going to call every one of us into judgment. And those who have rejected the love of God inwardly will receive the wrath of God eternally. No matter who or what they pretended to be while they lived here on this earth. No matter what church they pastored, no matter how many TV networks they were on, no matter how often they named the name of God and attended a religious uh, 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 service. So what will that judgment look like for unbelievers? Well, to answer that question, Jude now gives us the third example. He goes back to the Old Testament again. It gives us the example of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by fire. Fire raining down on them, God destroyed those wicked cities. And Jude says that these religious hypocrites will be destroyed. Look now in verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah. Are you seeing this? Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, underscore in your Bible, in like manner. How are people going to be destroyed who reject God and the Savior he sent? In like manner to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and those round about them. When you think of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them. Think of Dallas and Fort Worth and the cities about them. That's a good way for people in our location to think of it. Jude is describing a godless metropolis, a godless metroplex in the Old Testament that was destroyed in the time of Abraham. 
And again, you just underscored the phrase in like manner. Jude is saying that God is going to destroy these godless rebels in the future who snuck into his church, who perverted his word in like manner to how he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities round about them. If you would have seen Sodom and Gomorrah back then, I believe you would have been very impressed. I really do. I mean, because when you think about Lot, I mean, Lot, he looked on the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. He looked out there and he thought, oh, it's so beautiful. Such a wonderful place. He ended up going into the city. We already knew how Lot made his decisions, don't we? Based on how pleasant and comfortable and how the physically appealing to the eye. So I think Sodom... When Lot ended up living in Sodom, I think Sodom had all the latest modern conveniences. Now, that's why a lot of people like living in the big city. Got all the nice shopping, the best hospitals, all the nice conveniences. And I think that Sodom and Gomorrah, like, like the skyline of Dallas and the amazing highway systems and business commerce that we see up here in the metroplex today. I believe these cities boasted the finer things available to society in their day, but regardless of how advanced and how pleasant these cities may have seemed on the outside, they were filled with wickedness on the inside, like a lot of our large cities are today. Wickedness. I can't think of, I can't think of any big, big city we have in Texas, that's not wicked. Can you? I can't. Now let's look here at these cities. Look back in your text. What were these cities doing? They were filled with wickedness on the inside, giving themselves over to fornication. That means they did not contain their sexual lusts, the chastity of the God-ordained union of one man and one woman in marriage. But they were wholly unrestrained in their sexual sins toward one another. Let me tell you something about fornication. The devil wants to sell you the lie. That having a variety of partners will give excitement to your sex life. That's what he'll tell you. That's how come every time you turn the television on, there's women up there shaking their stuff and men looking at them and they got their shirts off and they're all kinds of filth all the time. Even on the commercials, he wants to make you look at everybody and, and, and make you think having a variety of partners, that's going to be exciting and give excitement in your sex life. But the truth is just the opposite. The truth is, if you need many, then you will never be satisfied with any. I'll say it again. If you need many partners, then you'll never be satisfied with any partner. The truth is, if you give yourself to everyone, you can't give yourself completely to anyone. Let that sink in. If you give yourself to everyone... You can't give yourself completely to no one. Fornication destroys a person's ability to give themselves wholly to their husband, wholly to their wife. It destroys their ability to be able to know sexuality and the satisfaction, the purity, and the holiness that God designed it to be. That's the truth of the matter. 
The truth is when a person sleeps around, they're just showing what a failure they are. Well, say, Brother Richard, how can they be a failure? They're scoring every night. They are. They're showing what a failure they are. You see, you'll never know satisfaction by giving yourself away in fragments to strangers. You'll only know satisfaction when you and your spouse give yourself away completely to one another. When you both, by the grace of God, say to one another, I am all yours and I am only yours. Because if you go with everybody, then you are special to nobody. Now, that's not just religious talk. That makes sense. (laughs) If you sleep around with everybody, that means you're special to nobody. And nobody is special to you. And that means your sexual experience is not special. The way God intended it to be. You let yourself get robbed by listening to the lies of the devil. That's why you're not satisfied. People who sleeping around all the time, if they were satisfied, they wouldn't be sleeping around all the time. Shows they're not satisfied. These cities were steeped in fornication. And Americans are becoming more and more like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Our advertisements. Our video games. Our movies. Television programs. Dress styles. Our music. It's inundating our our culture with fornication. And we're fools if we watch it. We're fools if we participate in it. We're fools if we play games when there's sexuality and stuff involved. We're playing these video games. You're teaching your mind to entertain yourself with sin. It should never be commonly placed before our eyes. Fornication promises excitement but fornication destroys the inner man and it always ends in disappointment i've counseled a lot of people over the years i've counseled a lot of young men about and women about their sexual sins and i have never counseled a person who was pleased with the result of their sexual sin Not one time. I've counseled them who were ashamed, who were miserable, who were damaged goods, and who were bitterly disappointed by the the, the choices they made sexually. I've counseled them. They were miserable. When a person sins sexually, they're sinning against God's pure and natural design of one man and one woman. And once God's design is broken, it can only break down more from there. And that's what happened in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Jude said those cities had given themselves over to fornication. Look back in your text. And going after, I mean chasing after strange flesh. Strange flesh. What would you think of strange? Stranger. 
If I walk into my home, there are certain people I would expect to see there. I'm an empty nester now, but that would be my wife. If I look, if I walk into the kitchen and when I come home from work and I see my wife in the kitchen, I'll give her a hug. I'll pet the dog. I would expect to see the dog there. And I can't hug her without petting the dog. He gets upset. But if I hug my wife and I pet the dog and I go around the corner, as I always do, to go take off my work boots, as I go around the corner down the hall, and I see somebody else, I'm going to go, oh, right? Stranger. Don't belong in my house. She belongs. The dog belongs. You can just turn it off. You don't mind. It, 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 the dog belongs, but the stranger doesn't belong. And that's the concept here behind strange flesh. They went after flesh that did not belong to them. Not simply flesh outside the marriage bond of one man and one woman. They went after flesh outside the natural use of male and female. Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them is what's known today as the LGBTQ community. That's what they were. Homosexuality. Transsexualism, all this junk. It's, it's, it was one of the great crimes that brought these cities down. And the fact that Jude mentions them as an example of God's judgment here and now in the New Testament shows us that God has not changed his mind about sexual perversion. God set it up the way he arranged it in the Garden of Eden and anything outside of that arrangement of one man and one woman till death do they part is perversion of God's natural order. We get our word sodomy today from the city of Sodom in the Old Testament. Again, the idea behind the word strange is something that doesn't belong. And and two men and two women don't belong together. Or three, or four, or anything else that you can pervert. And Jude said that these cities, look back in your text, are set forth for an example. In other words, the Holy Spirit mentioned the destruction of these cities in the Old Testament for a reason. He mentioned them. He mentioned the, the specific sins that they committed. And we're sure of what they committed. The Bible is very detailed about that. And he mentions their sins, and he mentions their destruction. He mentions the fact that they were destroyed by the fire of God coming down from heaven as an example of the type of destruction that these creepy clergy and those who follow them are going to experience in the great day of God's judgment at the end of this world. You see, these creepy clergy and their corrupted congregation, they're like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. For as these cities gave themselves over to sexual fornication, so these churches have given themselves over to spiritual fornication. As those cities gave themselves over to strange flesh, going after strange flesh, so these churches have given themselves over to going after strange doctrines. They're teaching things that simply don't belong in the church of Jesus Christ. 
And many of these churches are even endorsing the very sexual sins that God destroyed those cities for. They're celebrating them. And Jude is saying, if you think God's not going to destroy these churches who have given themselves over to spiritual fornication, to strange or foreign doctrines that don't belong in the church, Jude's saying, let me remind you of the Israelites that didn't believe in their God. Let me remind you of the angels that didn't stay in their place. As God kept the unbelievers out of Canaan, and as God kicked the evil angels out of heaven, So God will sort these creepy clergy out of the church. He'll sort these counterfeit Christians out of the pew. And when he does, he will destroy them in a similar manner to how he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. They're an example to us of how God will destroy the wicked in our midst. They will be, look back in your text, suffering, underscore this, the vengeance of eternal Fire. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire on the great day of God's judgment. Those who have not received Christ as their Lord and Savior will suffer the vengeance of eternal fire. And I put emphasis on four words there because those are the four words we need to pay attention to here. These four words describe the future final judgment of those who are without Jesus. Suffering, vengeance, eternal, and fire. Wow. The first word is suffering. If you do not receive Christ as your Savior, your future will be one of suffering. Suffering. The word translated suffering here, it has the idea of being held under a heavy burden. It's strapped down on you. You're held under it, and you can't shake it off. Suffering. You just have to endure what's placed upon you. Endure the pressure of what you're under. The burden is strapped to you. It's heaped upon you by God. There's no getting it off. And and Jude said it is the burden of Look back at the second word, the burden of vengeance. The word vengeance here doesn't mean anger. It means making something right. Kind of like what we learned about justice and all in the book of Proverbs last Wednesday. Remember, the word vengeance here means making something right. You see, because God is holy, he must make things right That have gone wrong in this wicked world. He has to make it right. He can't leave it in error. The suffering that is brought upon sinners. It's going to be an act of God's holy justice. It will be right. You can no more remove God's vengeance. Than you can remove God's holiness. The two go hand in hand. God is holy. Therefore, he must avenge all the wrong that has been done. And that brings us to the third word, eternal. There will be suffering. That suffering will be the result of God's vengeance. And how long will you remain under the burden? How long will you have the heaping vengeance of God upon your back? It will be eternal. 
forever and forever and forever. As members of the human race, we're not like puppy dogs and kitty cats and mice and bugs. The Bible says when those die, they just return back to the earth that they came from. But when man dies, his spirit has to go stand before God. God created us as eternal creatures. And that means the choices that we make about God, they're eternal choices. And they have, therefore, eternal consequences. If you receive God by receiving his son Jesus, you will live with God for all eternity. But if you reject God... You will die without him for all eternity. You will suffer his vengeance forever. And this brings us to the fourth word. We have the the, the suffering. We have the vengeance. We have forever. But what's that suffering, that eternal suffering going to consist of? Our fourth word is fire. Fire. These creepy clergy and their corrupted congregation will suffer the vengeance of God's eternal fire. Now, maybe you're thinking right now, but pastor, maybe Jude is speaking figuratively. Maybe it's just a metaphor. Maybe hell is not a literal place. Well, I want you to listen to the description that God gives of his final judgment in the next book. If you'd Keep your place here in Revelation, but turn to Re- I mean, in Jude, but turn to Revelation chapter 14, please. Just flip to your right, the 14th chapter of Revelation. At the end of time, the world through the tribulation is going to be tried. The true believers will be revealed through suffering. The unbelievers will be revealed through that same tribulation, God will be separating the sheep from the goats. And in that time, they're going to make a choice. Those who do not believe God, those who reject God's Son, those who believe the Antichrist and follow His way, the final creepy clergy is going to be the Antichrist. And by the way, it'll be the same one that crept in the first time, the devil. Same one. Just coming in a different form. Won't be a snake the last time. Be a politician. And those who follow that creepy clergy and take his mark, Revelation 14, 8 through 11 says, And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture. That means it's not diluted. The punishment they're going to receive is without mercy. Into the cup of his indignation. Look here now. And he shall be tormented. That's the suffering Jude speaking about. Tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke 
of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Whether you're following a snake in heaven, a snake in the garden, a snake in the pulpit, or a snake in politics, whatever leads you away from God will lead you into hell. And whether it's figurative or whether it's literal, you don't want to go to a place where the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. Sodom and Gomorrah were real cities. Not, lit- not metaphorical cities. They were real cities destroyed by real fire raining down from heaven. And hell is a real place where sinners will suffer the vengeance of eternal fire. And the smoke of their torment will ascend up forever and ever. And they will have no rest day nor night. That's somber. But with that sobriety, I want to remind you of another real place. Sodom and Gomorrah is a real place. A place called hell is a real place. But I'm so glad to say that the cross was a real place too. And on that cross, there died a real Savior for you and me. And all who go to Him will never go to hell. Those who go to hell will have no rest. For those who go to Jesus will receive rest. For his work is already done. Eternal people who make eternal choices with eternal consequences. Which choice will you make about your creator and the Savior he sent to take that vengeance for you. I choose to accept him and the one he sent for me. And I rest my faith in that cross so I don't rest the fate of eternal fire. With that, we'll go ahead and close with a word of prayer. We've seen the fate of Of these creepy clergy and their corrupted congregation. Next week we're going to get into some of their messages that they preach. Some of their messages. Such sobering scriptures. Father we thank you Lord for your wonderful word. We thank you Father for those who came here today. Who gather around your scriptures. Father we acknowledge them. As truth. Not the words of man. But as they are in truth. The words of God. Which effectually work in all those who believe. And Father I pray if there's anyone here today. Who's like the creepy clergy. Who sneak in unawares to the church Lord who like the people of Egypt that went out from Egypt, appear to be going out with us to the Canaan land, appear to be on their way to heaven like the rest of us. But Father, Lord, who 
may not have made that decision to accept their God and the Savior he sent. Lord, I pray before it's too late that they'll make the decision to say yes to Christ. And I ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And Lord, we pray for all those who are not here this morning, but our loved ones, Lord, that we care about, that we know are lost. And everyone here, Lord, who've breathed a prayer and raised their hand with a, with a special prayer or an or a, a unspoken prayer request, Lord, for loved ones, that they'll escape this place of your eternal vengeance of fire. We pray for each and every one of these loved ones today. We pray for their salvation. We pray you'll turn their hearts to you and their faith to Christ. In his name we ask. Amen.